Well, good morning to everybody. This is Pastor Mike, and I feel like I'm going to turn this just a little bit today so that we can address the folks that are home. Uh, big announcement, we're reopening next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Today, we're kind of doing a run-through with all of our uh, people who are normally here with us on Sunday morning. So I appreciate Debbie being here and Elizabeth and Sarah and uh, Jerry and uh, and uh, Alan. And, and uh, we got some help back there from Zoe today. So thank you guys for being here. Come join us next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. We're going to reopen for our normal public services. And yes, we're going to practice some precautionary measures to keep everybody safe and healthy. Uh, we're going to ask everybody, as if you come, when you're coming in and out of the building or uh, when people are moving around in the church building, that you bring a mask. If you have one, if you don't, that's fine. But if you have one, bring a mask and just wear it inside and out when you're going in and out or anytime that there might be a chance that you be uh, going close to other people. Uh, once you get into the service, we want to encourage you to set uh, spread out as far as you can. We're going to have plenty of room for people to socially distance and have a safe uh, positioning for our people here. When you come into the service next week, you'll see that we have our uh, communion trays that will be out. Uh, you can go ahead and uh, there'll be some sanitary uh, uh, lotion there. Uh, sanitize your hands, get you a communion cup. It'll be a double cup with uh, bread in the bottom, communion at the top. And you take that to your seat with you and then you can celebrate the Lord's communion. That will, We won't have to pass the the emblems out of that particular as we normally do. And there's also an offering plate. They'll be back there in the back. You just drop your offering in. And uh, we're going to do our best to try to be together but not be close to one another next week. I know that's hard to imagine, but we want to get back into the, the kingdom work here on this earth. And uh, we're going to try to abide by all the regulations that are given to us by those in power over us. And we pray for them, their leadership, and their direction but we'll be reopening. Now, if you are still uncomfortable and you're elderly or you have small children and you don't want to uh, expose in any particular way, uh, then stay at home. We're going to live stream. I know the live stream is not the best, but we're also recording it live. We'll play it back live uh, as soon as we can upload it later in the day. Uh, so we're going to do everything we can to provide for those who are at home. Uh, also, one note that if you have children, we won't be having children in programs for a few weeks. So when you bring your children, uh, there'll be packs of information you can pick up for them, uh, things that they can be doing while they're sitting with you, but they will be staying in the services with us for a while. So keep that in mind. If you come, the kids will be sitting with you. And so if it's easier for you to sit at home with them and listen, then you can do that. But we're going to just try to provide the best service we possibly can as we get things going here at the church. Well, today is May 17th, and uh, we have gathered to celebrate in the name of the Lord Jesus. We continue our Luke 3 and Me sermon series today as we study the genealogy of Jesus. We've come a long way from Adam, and we have uh, did our perspective upon the four ladies that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus and we now come to a very important person in the genealogy of Christ, and that is King David. Now, King David, he had a, an important role in the whole idea, the whole concept of the kingdom. Uh, up until this point, there were nomadic people, then they had judges, they, the people asked for a king, so God gave them a king. Uh, Saul kind of flames out, and then King David has to step, step up to create 
here on this earth a type of what is the kingdom of God that would come through the church and the kingdom of God which reigns through all eternity. So we're entering a new phase here called the kingdom of the promised life. We've talked about the promised line, the promised land, and now we're getting into a promised life section and more on that in just a second. Now, many of you uh, survived May the 4th, and I was kind of surprised because I always forget every year when people say to me on the 4th, may the 4th be with you. Did anybody hear that? May the 4th be with you. Now, I don't know whether they just have a speech impediment or if uh, they just uh, were confused, but uh, as I was doing some research, I found out that Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise, has kind of co-opted the 4th of May to put out some new material or to add to uh, the Star Wars content that's out there in the world, and they've dubbed it May the 4th Be With You. Play on words. It's always on May the 4th, and it's playoff May the 4th Be With You if uh, you didn't quite get that. So May the 4th was a great opportunity for Disney to release or re-release The Rise of Skywalker. People are really excited because they put it on Disney+, Plus, and we were all abuzz in our house. We didn't watch it on Disney+, Plus, but we did watch it. And I got to thinking, do they really need more money? They already grossed more than $300 million, and this is not even the best profit they've made off the Star Wars movies. But $300 million, and they've made even more, or will make even more, worldwide. Now, it might shock some of you, because you know I like the Star Wars stories, but I hadn't seen it yet. And I finally watched it with Elizabeth and some people in my family. Matthew was with us. And we watched, finally, the latest installment, Rise of Skywalker. Now, I can't believe that I'd gone five months without watching it, and even more so surprised that I hadn't heard any of the spoilers that are in The Rise of Skywalker. We were guessing in the movie itself what was going to come next, and uh, other people in the house had seen the movie, so they weren't spoiling it for us. Now, if you're a fan or you're familiar with the story, this illustration might mean more to you. But even if you aren't a big fan, I think this narrative about families and how they form our identities is going to be relatable, especially when we talk about the kingdom of God. In the saga story or the Star Wars story, there are two families who represent two sides, one light, the other the dark. The Skywalker family fought for the light. The Palpatine family, they fought for the dark side. Now, the Skywalker family represented the Jedi, and the Palpatine family represented what was called the Sith. The irony is that some of the Skywalkers chose to walk in the dark, and as we learn in the latest installment, and I hope this isn't a spoiler for you, so if you haven't seen it yet, cover your ears. At least one Palpatine walked in the light. Now, they all fought against their familiar nature, some for the good and others for evil. But in the end, the Skywalker family prevails, light wins as it reclaims all those it had lost, and the Palpatine family, or darkness, or evil, was destroyed.
Now, can you imagine if evil had won? There are some segments in the story where it looks like evil's going to win in all these different illustrations of light and dark. But in this particular saga, I don't know if they've ended it yet, evil is destroyed. Light prevails. Now, this narrative should sound familiar to you. It is the Christocentric story of humanity. Now, all the people who talk about good and evil, they think they are coming up with some kind of original idea, but they're just co-opting the idea that God has given us since the very beginning in the story of Christ, that there's good and bad, light and dark, only two sides. The God family serves the light. Satan's family chooses the dark side. Some from the God family will lose their way and follow their dark side. And we hope that some who are part of Satan's family reject the dark side and eventually follow the light, even if it takes to the very last minute of their life. This narrative of life has its beginnings in the Garden of Eden and has been retold and reimagined by every generation since then. Now, such is the case with the generation we begin to talk about in the genealogy of Jesus when we talk about the promised life generation. From Adam to Terah, we had what I called the promised line generations. These generations were nomadic for the most part, meaning they didn't enjoy a nation or a land to which they belonged. They just moved from here to there. They were a portable group of people who were being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth as part of God's mandate to them. Then from Abraham to Jesse, we had what I have called the promised land generations. These generations of Israelites were identified by their land of promise in which they lived and for which they battled. It started with Abraham and the blessing that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him and his seed. And we learned that he was talking about Jesus in that. And we learned that the promised land was a precursor to the promise of heaven for all those who were in God's family. It was a type of what was to come. And today, we begin talking about another type that is to come in the promised life generations. From King David to Jesus... Those in the genealogy of Christ were concerned with the kingdom of God here on earth, establishing it, and then trying to preserve it. And then after it was lost, to try to recreate it. His kingdom, this kingdom, David's kingdom, did not last long. And when they were finally defeated and taken into captivity in Babylon... The people of Israel longed for the kingdom to be restored by the Savior, the one who would come in the name of the Lord. They were just looking for the wrong kind of kingdom to be restored. It would come in the name of the Lord, but it would come as the kingdom of eternity and promised life. And it would be Jesus who would restore that kingdom. And he would restore the throne of David in its proper context, which was an eternal kingdom. That is why during the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, Matthew 21, verse 9 says, the crowds, 
They went wild. They were ahead of him. And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, they even believed that Jesus was the fulfillment. He was the son of David. He was coming to restore the great kingdom of God. Now the son of David would establish a forever kingdom, something which was told to him when he was just young. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to Second, First, and Second Samuel. Find those places because we'll be referring to them uh, a number of times in Scripture. Find Second Samuel chapter seven, starting with verse eight. That's Second Samuel, verse chapter seven, verse eight. Because the son of David would establish a forever kingdom, even though it appeared to those at the time it would just be an earthly one. But David understood it was an eternal kingdom. That's why he battled so uh, hard to bring the temple or get the temple built so that they could bring the ark there and they could be the holy city of God here on earth. He was told something which helped him understand that he was a part of this great eternal kingdom there in 2 Samuel 7. Are you there? Let's look at verse 8. It says, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you for wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore or as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that I appointed leaders over my people Israel. Oh, excuse me. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And of course, we know he's talking about both Solomon and Christ at the same time in these verses. Now, David is the reason that we focus so much of our story on Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, and Bathsheba in the last few weeks. It's important for us to understand why these women of faith, even though they were not Israelites, at least three of them, were an important part of bringing about the line of David the lineage of David. Luke chapter 3, verse 31 through 34 says, David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz and Ruth, the son of Salmon, and remember Rahab was his wife, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, and remember Tamar was uh, Perez's mother, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. King David was the great-grandson of Ruth and the great-great-grandson of Rahab. And then you figure how many great-great-greats it would be 
for Tamar on your own. He was also in that line of Judah because of Tamar's persistence. And remember why we talked about how important her faith was in continuing the line of Judah. David would marry Bathsheba. We talked about her a little bit last week. And under compromised circumstances, he would have sons with her. He had other wives too, and this created a, a battle zone within his own family where sons were battling against one another and moms were trying to protect their sons and their right to the throne. And we see Bathsheba's story rise up where she's protecting her son Solomon and Nathan. And we'll talk about Nathan next week because he's in the line, not Solomon. We'll describe why. But she did all of this because, again, she believed that her children were in that line of the kingdom. Now, before all this happened, Saul would be made the first king of Israel. But he failed because he took too much of the glory for himself and he disobeyed God. So God said, I'm going to pass the mantle to someone else. And he decided it would be David that would establish the kingdom that would mirror the eternal kingdom of God, which is heaven. Now, David's life provided many lessons from which we can learn about kingdom living. And here's the point. For all of us, we sometimes forget, especially in the midst of pandemics and all the things that are going on where we have all kinds of people telling us what we can and cannot do. And maybe you grow weary of that, or maybe you go, it's best for everybody, or maybe you're questioning it now, or maybe you don't understand the thinking process they have when they do it. But we try to cooperate best we can, right? But sometimes that makes us forget that we really are not of this world. We're really of an eternal kingdom of God. And that all of us, even the leaders, those who are in authority over us, they are being held accountable to the Lord. Because this is really all about the church playing its role in developing or propagating the idea of the kingdom of God eternally. And David's life teaches us how we are to live out in that kingdom. There are some important things for us to learn and to live because we are part of this, internal king, this, this, part of this eternal kingdom. And others may not realize it. That's why we have to live as we're part of that kingdom. We have to battle, for instance, for the kingdom of God here on this earth. We have to remind people that this is not all that there is, that there is a life beyond this one, and that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And those that believe in him, though they might die here, they will live eternally. They'll be a part of that kingdom, that it's a part of that battle between the light and the dark. And if you are battling for the light, then you'll be a part of that eternal kingdom. And if you're battling for the dark, you will be destroyed There are three major stories in the life of David that help illustrate the kind of battles we will face every day in kingdom living. There's always problems, of course, and those come with the great promises. The promise is we have eternal life and that someday God will return and he'll bring everything back into the order that it needs to be in. And we should honor and look forward to that. But until then, we're battling the little evils that are all around us in this world. 
that are fighting for the dark side. So we're going to have problems. Primarily in the kingdom of God, the church especially, we're going to have problems with giants. Now think of it this way. The devil is the big giant, big G. And then there are a lot of little giants running around acting like they are Satan himself. And they stand in front of us and they mock God and they say, you will not survive. We're going to take you out. And every once in a while, you just need to be like David. Learn from him that in the kingdom, in the battle for the kingdom, you're going to face little giants who represent the big giant. We're also going to have problems with greatness. Now, I'll have to explain this kind of carefully, but try to understand it from this point. We are to facilitate greatness without being great ourselves. Let me say that again. We are to facilitate greatness without being great ourselves. Jesus is the perfect example of that in which he could have taken greatness and run with it because he had all the power, but he instead he submitted himself in humility and became obedient even to death on the cross as a servant, and it was God who exalted him in greatness. The problem that we have in the kingdom is we've got a lot of people who want to be big G great. They want to be the ones to get the attention and say, we're the ones who are born. We get to make the decisions. But if, if, at, at best, we're little G great. And even at that, we are to facilitate the big G great of God. And I'll explain that a little bit more here in a bit. But the other problem that we encounter is a problem with glory. Now, when you're dealing with glory, big G glory only belongs to God. But there are a lot of people who are around us in this world. They want that big G glory. Because if they have that big G glory, they get to tell everybody else what to do because they know what's best, because they know what's right, they know what's wrong, and they have the police force or the power of the police that they can say, okay, if you're not going to respect or submit to my big G glory, I'm going to do this to you. Like the barber in Michigan, you know, I, the guy that lost his barbering license after doing it for decades because he was just going to open up to try to, to help his family. He was going to operate within the context of the, the rules they had, but then they came and said, no, you can't do that. We're big, we're big G glory, and we get to tell you how to live your life. We have instances like that, but only God gets the glory, the big G, and only he gets the the ability, has the ability to tell us what is right, wrong, what we should do, how we should follow. But within the church, we struggle with this, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the kingdom. Now, we have great promises in the kingdom of God, but I want you to understand, let me explain this clearly, that the kingdom of God here on earth is the church. It is his body living out his plan to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And our purpose here on this earth is not to live for this place, but to live for our eternal home. And in the church, we celebrate that and we operate in that idea. But again, we stumble with our giants and with this idea of greatness and with this idea of glory. That's why the story of King David is so important because there are illustrations from his life that can help us. Like for instance, David, when he had to face his giant, 
Do you remember the story? He volunteered to do so because none of the other soldiers, even his brothers, even the king was there. They were afraid to go face Goliath. So David volunteers because no other Israelite was brave enough to do so. But in doing that, David didn't think he was special. He was offended because the world was mocking God. The devil does that a lot. He wants to be that giant that mocks God and says, listen, God doesn't exist or God doesn't care or God's not going to punish. So David, he goes out and he meets Goliath on the battlefield. Now, this is a funny story in a sense because when I think of it, I'm thinking of Samuel. Because I was talking about David and Goliath the other day and Samuel in, in graphic detail described what David did to uh, Goliath after he knocked him down with the, the little rock. I mean, it was real graphic. I don't know what his mom or dad's teaching him, but it's part of the story. David defeated Goliath because he went out and he fought Goliath, that big G giant, in the name of the Lord. Not his own name, not for his family, but he did it in the name of the Lord because he was moved because Goliath was mocking God. 1 Samuel, find it, chapter 17, verse 45 through 51, tells the story, or part of it anyway. This is where Goliath is responding to David as he comes out. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Or this is David speaking. He says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord, Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Did you get that last part? We do not win by sword or spear. We win when we do things in the name of the Lord because we know the Lord saves. See, David goes out against Goliath, his big giant, big G giant. And he knows the only way he can defeat him is not on a physical level, not even intellectually, not even on a, a debate level. I'm going to argue with him. He just says, in the name of the Lord, Goliath, you are wrong, and God is going to use me to slay you to prove that he is the God of all gods. And that's exactly what happens in the story. As I said, we watched Rise of Skywalker, and in the finale of that, we have Ray, who's the heroine. She has her final confrontation with Palpatine, who's her, have yours, her grandfather. And when she approaches him, um, she has this confront, confrontation with him, and, and he, he, uh, he electrifies her in a sense. And she's depleted, and she's empty. And she's ready to give up because it looks like evil has won. She was trying to fight him with the 
the, the, the lightsabers and with the help that she had that was available to her with her own strength and with her own ability. And then he zaps her and she's on the ground. And then all of a sudden she starts hearing voices. It was the voices of all the Jedi warriors of the past and they began speaking. And I was glad we had on closed caption when we watched it the first time because it identified who was speaking in those voices because most of them you, were, you wouldn't have uh, recognized except for maybe Yoda or Obi-Wan. But they're encouraging her to get up. They say, get up, rise up, and use the collective force in the name of the Jedi because you can defeat him. So she gets up and she has she does some really slick moves with her lightsabers and you see the very end, she's got him crossed and she's pushing back on his zapping and she, he's zapping her and she does this in the name of the Jedi. She boom and then he's gone. He disintegrates. She does that not based upon her power but in the name of what she stood for. And that was kind of a common theme that ran through the story itself. And it works because the power of the light is always greater than the power of darkness. And the only way darkness works ever in any context is when those who are in the light are afraid to do, do, do the thing they need to do in the name of the Lord or in the name of that which is right. But darkness just seems to be so sinister and scary at times. But like young David who faced his big G giant... We can face any giant of evil if we do so in the name of the Lord. He is the light and darkness is always, always conquered in his name. So when you are facing your giants, remember most of them are just little G's. They're just pretenders. They might sound like they're big and rough and tough and whatever, but when you stand up, you stand up for eternity, for the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you do things in the name of the Lord, and that gives you the power to overcome. Now, we also have a great promise in the kingdom of God here on earth. And that means we have to facilitate the greatness, as did David, when dealing with King Saul. Now, Saul would become jealous of David because of the great things David was doing as part of Saul's kingdom. And Saul just was angry about it. And just like that, we should not claim greatness as Saul did, but we should facilitate the greatness of God as David did. Now, there's a subtle thing here in the story. Saul was trying to promote his own greatness, and that's why he stopped listening to the Lord. If you read the story carefully, David comes along, and David, God says, I'm going to make David great. And Saul gets really jealous, even tries to kill David. And David refuses to bring his hand against Saul because David didn't consider himself greater than Saul because Saul was God's anointed. So we have this story here that we read about in 1 Samuel 26. You got your Bibles again? Find 1 Samuel 26. Because David gets the drop on Saul. Saul's chasing David and his band of uh, brothers. And uh, they got him trapped. And then David uh, goes and he 
finds Saul asleep in a cave and he takes uh, something from Saul and then he could have, he had the drop on him, could have killed him, but did not. And this is where the Saul responds to him. He says, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed, David said. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. And we know that eventually Saul is killed by another opposing army. And David is uh, lifted up and uh, becomes the king of Israel. And this is kind of Saul recognizing the writing on the wall. David could have killed him, but he did not. And Saul realizes that God was working through David and would do great things through him, greater things through David than he would have ever done through Saul himself. Now, we have that same opportunity to facilitate the greatness of God without trying to be great ourselves. Submission is part of that, but also understanding that really this has never been about us. It's really about God. It's about light versus dark. It's about good versus evil. And as we struggle in that particular way, our only hope is to facilitate the greatness of God through the things that we do, righteousness and faithfulness, and then God uses those things to overcome and to have victory and to promote the kingdom. Makes me think again of the Star Wars saga. You know, Kylo Ren, he was evil. Uh, he pretended to be servants of the more powerful, but his real quest was to destroy those who were over him in darkness because he wanted to rule in greatness. He felt like he deserved to rule in greatness. He had all this power. He had all this ability. No one could really uh, hurt him. And one of the funniest lines in the movie is when he throws his lightsaber into the ocean and he loses some of his dark powers when he jumps to, uh, to one place to another. He hits a rock, and you never hear him say this before, but he just goes, ow. You know, like he finally feels pain because he got rid of that darkness. But Kylo Ren wanted to rule in greatness, and he wanted Rey to join him. And he offered his hand to her to reign with him, but Rey refused. She was not refusing Ben, who he was really, who he really was, but was refusing Kylo Ren and what he was offering. Ray just wanted to do the things that would honor the force and those that she respected, like Princess Leia. She never believed herself to be great. She always struggled with doubt. She always struggled with who she was. She was an orphan. She had no name, no last name. But still, she was able to do great things and triumph because she used this great force that was with her. She tried to honor that the best she could. She didn't do it perfectly because she was still confused to the very end who she was. Now, like David, who did greater things than Saul did as a king, um, and he refused to kill, and even though he refused to kill him, we can do great things too when we call upon and do things in the name of the Lord. It was Saul who conceded. 
to David that he would be greater in victory. We have to be careful that we don't get caught up in the greatness trap. There are a lot of people out there running around acting like they're greater than everybody else, big G greater. But only God is greater, big G. And at bare minimum, what we can be is little g great by doing great things, but that doesn't make us great. And the thing we realize with David, with all of his uh, imperfections, is that David wanted to do the will of God, so God did great things through him, even though David did some stupid things too. Now, I don't know what stupid thing you've done lately, but don't let that stop you from doing great things for the kingdom of God because the devil always likes to remind us of how much we have failed and how far we have fallen. But don't let that define you. Remember that you are made in the image of God to do great things for him. We do that when we live out our lives in faithfulness and righteousness and we can facilitate those greater things when we understand that. And that that comes from the Lord. You don't have to say, I'm great. But you can say, I'm going to do great things for the Lord when I live in righteousness and faithfulness. Okay, so we have that promise of problems that are going to come with the giants. And we have the problems that are going to come with our struggle with greatness or those who want to be great over us. But we also have a great promise in the kingdom of God here on earth. And we have to deal with the problem of glory. Because what we really need to do is foster glory, as did David, when dealing with his son Solomon and the building of the temple. We see that story. We'll open it up here a little bit. You see, David's son Solomon, who was a product of his relationship or his marriage with Bathsheba, not the sin part of that. It was after they got married, Solomon would have been born. The baby that was from their tryst died. But Solomon, he was to become the king after David. Now, he had brothers who had other ideas. They were going to uh, usurp the throne and kill Solomon and his little brother, Nathan. And then again, Nathan is in the line of Christ. But Bathsheba prevented that. She did all she could to protect her sons. But David, he was confronted with this problem. He had done all this stuff for God. He'd done great things for the Lord. He'd built the kingdom up. He'd expanded it. It truly had fulfilled what God had said. They had peace on every side. It had stretched miles beyond what anyone would have ever dreamed. It was one of the largest worldwide kingdoms of its day. And David was the king of that. And all David really wanted to do was build a house for the ark of the Lord. But God said no. So David could have thought, listen, I put in my time. I deserve the glory. I've done my due diligence. I've been there every Sunday morning. I've done what I was supposed to do. I've given my tithes. I've volunteered in this and that. I deserve a little bit of the glory. And God sometimes says, no, just like he says to David. So David could have just pouted, taken his marbles or gone home, or he could teach us as he did what real glory means. He humbled himself and he gave God the glory 
Now, this is a longer set of verses here. Find First Chronicles. I'm going to have to get my glasses out because I have this in smaller print. But I'm going to read this whole section from First Chronicles 16, 8 through 36. And remember, the context here is the Holy Temple is not going to be built by David, which is what he always wanted to do. It's going to be built by his son Solomon. And David could have pouted. He could have thrown a fit. He could have said, no, the glory belongs to me. But instead, this is what he instructs to be written. He says, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory is his in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen one, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for thousands, for thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is form formally established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound all, and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for the joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Now, it didn't sound like David was angry at this point. He had to work through the idea of glory. And sometimes we have to work through that as well. We can't focus on all the things we have done. What did David do? He focused on all the things God has done. And what God has done is much greater than anything we've ever done. As a matter of fact, our effort, uh, efforts seem anemic compared to what God has done. And, and David, he details that in, in great length here. Tells a little history story, but he says all the glory, big G glory, it all goes to God. And as we battle in the kingdom, sometimes within the church, we get a little bit glory starved. And we want the attention and we want appreciation and we want people to, to thank us for the things that we have done. 
But we need to be like David and realize we don't do this for other people. We do this because of the glory of God, for his honor, for his praise. Now, in the Star Wars saga, we have uh, Ray and uh, Ben at the very end. And Ray had saved Kylo Ren's life earlier by giving him some of her life force. She had this ability to, to heal. So after she saves Ren Ben Solo, I call him, uh, then he finds her and joins her to confront Palpatine in a final showdown. Now in that battle, Ben is thrown into a dark pit. It kind of reminded me of when Palpatine was thrown into kind of a dark shaft. But Ben is thrown in a pit and we think, we presume he's dead. He's been destroyed. But... Then at the very end, when all looks hopeless, we see his hand, boom, on the side of the rock. And he climbs up out of the pit and he crawls over to where the lifeless body of Ray is, where she had used every bit of her energy to destroy Palpatine, her grandfather, the great evil. He takes Ray into his arms and he transfers some of his force, life force into her. She saves his, or he saves her life by giving her that force. And once he does that, then making the ultimate sacrifice, Ben then dies and disappears. Now we know it's good news when he disappears because all the Jedi that had disappeared after they died up to this point, they were now in Jedi heaven, right? So everybody was relieved. Okay, Ben, he, he made it to heaven because at the last minute, he went from being evil to being good, from following his uh, worldly master, Palpatine, to following his family and what they stood for. In a vision he had with his father, Han Solo had inspired Ben not to seek his own glory, but the glory of the cause for which his mother had sacrificed and died. He realized that so many people had, others had done so many greater things and what he was seeking in his own glory would not satisfy. So when it came time, he saved Ray instead of himself. Now, David does the same thing in a sense. When he recounts through history how God's people need to declare the glory of God for all the great things God has done because he believes in the cause of the kingdom of God, the enduring, glorifying, wonderful, praiseworthy king of God to bring the love of God to all nations. It was a promise made to Abraham that would be fulfilled in Christ. And David is now the, the, going to be, is the king of this earthly kingdom that's going to be fulfilled in the Messiah, the Savior, Hosanna. So David, he gives the glory to God instead of trying to seek the glory for himself. Listen, if you're in the church, you're doing kingdom work. Don't grow weary of doing good because at the proper time, you reap the harvest of blessing. But in the meantime, we're told to do good to bring glory to God because he's the one that gets the big G glory, not us. And if we seek that big G glory, it's going to lead to disappointment in our own life, frustration for ourselves, and all kinds of problems. 
that we would face in that. So give glory to God and be obedient to Him. And if God wants to lift someone up near you, um, that and it seems like He's giving them a little bit of the G, little G glory, don't you know? Don't be bugged by that. As long as those people are giving the big G glory to God, then we can all serve Him as one. I've been trying to work myself through a book. It's a long book by Victor David Hansen. Uh, he's a brainiac, uh, one of the smartest guys that I've ever heard. And he wrote a book called Carnage and Culture in which he examines all the great battles in Western history. And what he's trying to determine is what was the key to victory in all those great battles. He determined that the oft outnumbered Western cultures or the, those outnumbered uh, smaller forces in the West they seem to be able to still have the victory. And he's trying to figure that out, and what he came up with is because in many instances, those in the West, they had stumbled upon a concept which we no longer have to stumble upon because it's the idea of life, and that is freedom. He says when you're fighting for freedom, it changes the game. Because instead of fighting out of the fear of the emperor or the evil king, you're fighting out of freedom and respect for the one who's given us that freedom. And as Christians, as part of the kingdom of God, we don't know that to be our creator. It's an inalienable right that our founding fathers has given to us as well. They just recognize it. They didn't give it to us. They just recognize God has given us this freedom. So we honor God and we fight for him in that freedom. The winning ingredient in all the great battles has always been the freedom to choose to be a part of something greater than the individual, something that would not bring glory to the individual, but bring glory to their creator. Now, we can't argue with that. That's a lot of power that comes when we don't think we're the ones that are great, but we're doing great things, and we don't want to receive the glory, but we want God to get the glory, then there's nothing that can stop the kingdom. Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, when Paul recounted the history of the kingdom of Israel, he says in Acts 13, verse 22 through 23, about Saul and David, he says, after removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Now in this, Paul is arguing. He's making a, an argument about why Christ Jesus was on the throne of David why he was the Messiah, why he was to be deserved to be have, uh, have said of him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And David was far from perfect. We know that. We read it in the story. But he was a man after God's own heart. David was not perfect. He had an affair and then killed the, had the, the husband of the woman he had the affair with uh, killed on the front line of battle. You know, you think, that's, that's not good. That's right. But still, David was a man after his own heart, and God established the kingdom of God here on this earth through David so that Christ could come and fulfill that kingdom as the Savior. 
We need to be after God's own heart. And the only way that we can face the giants we're going to have to face and, and negotiate and facilitate the glory issue or the greatness issue and foster the true glory of God is if we just say, Lord, I want to be after your own heart. I want to serve you in your kingdom. Now listen, there are going to be a lot of people confused after this whole pandemic thing. Our whole worlds are kind of turned upside down. If you don't believe me, just uh, look at some of the wild YouTube or things you see that people are doing at home. Uh, they're funny, but they're also sad at the same time. Uh, but, you know, it's crazy. People want to get back to life. They want to get back to living. But as the church, we need to lead the way in that. We need to lead the way as we see God's own heart and face those giants and deal with the issue of greatness and glory by giving that all over to him. Because people need to find their base again, find what life is really all about. And it's not about this world. This is not our home. We're about the kingdom of God, which is an eternal thing that we need to live for. Now, the Star Wars saga may have more chapters to be added. Since Disney bought it, I'm sure they're going to monetize it even more so. Um, they've already done that with uh, some of the things that they've uh, produced uh, as additional stories to the Star Wars saga. There are going to be new heroes, and I bet you there are going to be a lot more heroines uh, because that's kind of the, the theme of the day. We want to give the ladies their turn to be the heroes too. But the story, fundamentally will always mirror what we've talked about here today, and that is the battle between God and Satan as it's found in Scripture. They are very creative in telling their stories, but the base of their story follows exactly what life is all about, and that is that good always defeats evil. When God's good people rise up and fight their giants by doing great things as they give the glory to him. Now, we can do the same thing, but we must choose which side we will serve. And if you've been serving with the dark side, even though you are a child of, child of light, stop it. Get on the dark, get, uh, set aside the dark side, throw your lightsaber into the ocean to honor what God has given you in your life through your family and through friends, through the church. It's not too late to join the light. And if you're being tempted right now to join the dark and you are part of the light side, because it seems more powerful, more pleasurable, then I would encourage you to resist the lies. You've been away from church a lot. You've been watching a lot of Netflix or whatever. And there are a lot of lies in those stories and movies and things that we see. You need to get your mind right. Come on, Luke, get your mind right. You need to get back into the word of God and start living for the kingdom of God instead of living vicariously through all these other stories and kingdoms that are told you through Netflix and other places. We got giants to face, and we got to do great things for God, and it's time for us to give glory to him, or we're just going to be minions of an ugly giant who thinks he's great and deserves the glory. And that's not right. What are you going to do? There's a little tag here it says awaken the force within you and when i say so if you can see the graphic behind me there's a cross there in the bottom that's the force i want you to awaken within you not some mythical force that is talked about in star wars but the real force the real power awaken that force within you which is christ jesus our lord
face those giants, facilitate greatness, foster God's glory. And not only will we come out of this pandemic, we will rise up. We will rise up to God's glory for his kingdom. Let's do that together. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Let's pray.